Sounds good. All right, First Samuel 19. Let's pray. And um, let me preface this a little bit before we get into it. Um, I uh, so as I studied it during the week and was looking at it and just praying my way through it as I normally do and just going through a passage and looking at it. I really um, felt strongly that the Holy Spirit really wanted to communicate like some things this morning. So I feel like he's got like a good message for each of us like to really, I don't know, it just felt strong this week so I can say that. And yeah, I was pretty excited about it. I know I was touched by it. And so, I don't know. He's really going to speak to our hearts in a significant way. And I think he might even rattle some things that maybe we thought were um, kind of the way it goes just because I don't know, we just have certain experiences and backgrounds that we're just used to being around, and I, I just think he's going to shake a little bit up, okay? Not that I'm intentionally trying to shake anything up. That's not my agenda. I, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of rebellion. You know, I just, I want to go towards whatever the Spirit's doing, all right? So, let's see what happens, all right? Let's go after it. So, Holy Spirit, oh, man, we just, we thank you so much for the way that you bring comfort into our lives, as Jesus mentioned, for how you teach us. And we want to give your voice the ultimate and supreme platform. That's what we desire. That's all that our hearts want, is your voice, your way, your empowerment, your equipping, your wisdom, your direction. And so, Holy Spirit, we give... Um, our minds and we give our hearts and we give our mouths just over to you. And we just ask for you to um, have a greater anointing in our lives, have a greater filling in our lives. And we just thank you for the work that you are doing, that the Word tells us how you're transforming us into the image of Jesus Christ. It's just amazing. And so sometimes it might be hard for us to see but I just thank you that you're doing it. And I thank you that as Paul wrote in Corinthians, we're going from glory to glory. And I just thank you for it, Lord. Thank you that your name is Victory, Lord. And we just praise you. So speak to our hearts this morning, Holy Spirit. We want to learn more about you and about your presence, um, about your ministry. Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's read this. So this, this is this is different. All right, First Samuel nineteen is a little different, it's a little strange. It's like so. When we finish it, you might be like, "Why did why did God actually include that chapter in the Bible exactly? What, what, what do, what's He trying to say? What's He trying to get to?" This is like one of those. So, so if this was, for example, if you're going to, to read this as your morning devotion and you read this, you'd probably be like, "Okay, like okay, I guess." What do I get out of that? So we're going to read it. We're going to try to pull some things out. And um, let's see what the Holy Spirit does. Okay? So, 1 Samuel 19. uh, We pick up after we found out last week that Saul is trying to take out David. Trying to take him out. Right? He's trying to take him out. And we found out last chapter that he's aggressively now making moves to really get rid of him. Because he's a threat to the throne. He's afraid of God's presence and wisdom on his life. And he's like, you know what? 
I really don't want that around me. Isn't that sad? That if the Spirit was super strong and just crazy anointing all over Sadie, and I was like, you know what? She's a threat. I, I, I'd rather not have her around me. Isn't that like a sad place to be? But a lot of pastors... <laughs> Sadie's like me. But... And I point out Sadie because it could be anybody at any moment in time. And if we're truly trying to champion people like for God to do whatever they're going to do, it's, it shouldn't really be threatening nor competitive. Right? Like, Holy Spirit, do what you're going to do. And it's awesome that you're doing it. You'll do whatever you do with me. Right? So, unfortunately, Saul was in a sad place, in a bad place. And he didn't see it that way. And so, in 19, um, everything gets turned up a little bit more. Gets turned up a little bit more. And if you missed anything from last week, it's online. Um, check it out. Might help to put together some pieces. So, 1 Samuel 19 says, Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. (laughs) Well, yeah. And he almost doesn't care who knows it. Shame-free about it. Everybody, our mission is to kill David. Sad. But Jonathan, as we found out last week, was very fond of David and warned him, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. It's interesting to me how David, the uh, giant crusher, goes, has to go into hiding. Is that interesting? He could kill giants. He could do whatever he needs to do. But there's also some hiding that might happen sometimes. Verse 4, Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to her servant David. He has now wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it, and you were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? He makes a good case. Verse 6, Saul listened to Jonathan, took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. (laughs) From one to the other, you know? Some people are just swinging in life, super impulsive, making quick decisions, you know. And you kind of see a little bit from that on Saul here. Verse 7, so Jonathan uh, called David and told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul, and David was with Saul as before. So it kind of like came back together, right? Verse 8, Once more war broke out, and David went out and fought the Philistines. He struck them with such force that they fled before him. Verse 9, But an evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. And while David was playing the harp, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear, But David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. So things by like verse 8, so you kind of see what they're coming around. Jonathan made a good case. And then, I mean, King Saul takes an oath. And he's like, you know what? Never mind. No harm be done. We're not going to kill him. We're not going to do anything. And then the spirit, right, that has been allowed, sent from, the Bible says sent from, from the Lord himself, 
Um, and again, if you missed any of that a couple of weeks ago, we talked about it, First Samuel 16, you probably want to listen. But the Lord sends that, I call it like an injurious spirit, it just cause pain when I come upon him, you know, he just got violent, as you could tell, and he'd throw that spirit in. He did it several times. And then it says here, we read for the first time, David made good his escape. In other words, he's not coming back. He's done with kind of hanging around. Verse 11, Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and to kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, warned him, right, and Michal is actually Saul's daughter, uh, warned him, if you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. So Michal let David down through a window and he fled and he escaped. Then Michal took an idol and laid it on the bed, covered covering it with a garment and putting some goat's hair, goat's hair at the head. What's she doing with an idol? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's not exactly a good situation. Uh, if you remember a little bit from last week, if you remember, Saul said, hey, you know what? My, he offered his first daughter and then he gave her away to another man. And then he said, hey, you know what? Maybe you should marry Michal, my other daughter. And remember he used the phrase, she's going to prove to be a snare for him. In other words, she could be very problematic for David, like, I'm sure maybe her quick access to an idol might have had something to do with it. Something's funky, you know what I mean? Like, you don't want to make anything too much, but something's strange. But anyways, she gets this idol, puts it in the bed, covers it, um, puts goat's hair on there. Verse 14, Then Saul sent the men to capture David. Uh, Michal uh, said, He is ill. So she lies. Then verse 15, Then Saul sent the men back to David and told them, Bring him up to me in his bed so I may kill him. Yeah. But when the men entered, there was the idol in the bed, and at the head was some goat's hair. Saul said to Michal, Why did you deceive me like this and send my enemy away so that he escaped? Michal told him, He said to me, Let me get away. Why should I kill you? Michal is like, doesn't have a hard time lying, um, <laughs> as you can tell. And, uh, and her deal is, hey, listen, he threatened to kill me if I didn't let him go. Verse 18, when David had fled and made his escape, he went to Samuel. So that's our man right there, right? He was the one that was the leader for a long time. Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. Then he and Samuel went to Naoth and stayed there. Word came to Saul, David is in Naoth at Ramah. So he sent men to capture him. But when they saw a group of prophets prophesying with Samuel standing there as their leader, the Spirit of God came upon Saul's men, and they also prophesied. Saul was told about it, and he sent more men. And they prophesied too. It's funny. Saul sent men a third time, and they also prophesied. Finally, he himself left for Ramah and went to the great cistern at Siku. And he asked, where are Samuel and David? Over in Naoth and Ramah, they said. So now Saul himself, verse 23, so Saul went to Naoth at Ramah, but the Spirit of God came even upon him and he walked along prophesying until he came to Naoth. He stripped off his robes and also prophesied in Samuel's presence. He lay that way all that day and night. This is why people say, is Saul also among the prophets? And we'll go just a little bit into 20. 
Then David fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father and why is he trying to take my life? So kind of an interesting passage, right? Interesting chapter. And Saul is obviously coming after him. He's bringing the heat. And David escapes. And uh, you have this situation to where Saul sends some people to go get him. They encounter these prophets, this group that was with Samuel, these prophets. And it says they start prophesying. What is the deal there? What's that going on? Well, even in the original like Hebrew, it's, it's pretty difficult to tell exactly what's meant by the term. But here's really what most like Bible scholars really pretty much agree upon when they use the word prophesying. When they're saying prophesying, basically what that means is um, they are they really they can't control it, and what they're doing is they're singing songs, they're proclaiming good news about God, uh, and they're even foretelling certain events that might happen. So it's kind of like an out-of-control church service. It's kind of like that. That's the way you can kind of think of it as. It's just kind of like very uncomfortable and very strange. But that's what's happening. And they go in with an intent to get him, uh, to kill him, and they're just overtaken by the Spirit. So then Saul sends another group. Well, that one didn't work. Sends another one. Sure enough, they come in. Boom. Whew, overtaken by it. Um, send another group. Whew, overtaken by it. And Saul's like, I had enough. So then he goes. Same thing happens to him, which for him this is interesting because this is actually the second time it's happened to him. It happened to him early on, earlier on in 1 Samuel chapter 10 before he became king. So this is like his second ex- significant experience. And not only when it happens to him, it happens to him all day long, all, and they find him on the floor. And then there's a phrase like if, that people had, you know, can't find Saul, where is he, where is he? And they had this phrase, because it happened to him the second time, and there's just experience around him, he must be among the prophets, nobody can find him. So this is all strange, Right? This is very different. Um, if this is your morning devotion, you know, I don't, I'm not quite sure what you would pull out of it. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, obviously, you can see a lot of un, not, good, not right and not good things happening. You see lying. You see deceit. Uh, you see murder that wants to take place. Um, it's just not good, right? The title of the message is In His Presence. Here's the one thing that I take away. I want to take a few minutes to talk about. We'll do communion. We're going to sing some more, and then we're going to pray. But here's what fascinates and strikes me. So for the whole week, I've uh, just been like, you know, praying through it, asking God about it, you know, like, Father, why would you choose to include this story in your word? He's chosen to include things. I mean, it's been said about Jesus that if everything was recorded about what he said and what he did, the volumes of the entire world could not contain it. Just what Jesus did. And his ministry is only three and a half years. So God, in having things for us, he was very selective. So, you know, I'm going to include that, maybe not, I guess not that, but I'm going to include this, maybe not that. He included this. So we, right, it puts us in the position of a father, like, what? I'm going to go closer to your heart. I don't understand you better. What, what are you revealing here? Like, what are you showing? What, what, are you, what is it, Lord? And so that's very much like what should happen when we study God's Word. That's why, like, running to Google right away is a problem when studying God's Word. 
Maybe at some point you'll get there and maybe look at some languages and look at stuff, but we want the Holy Spirit to reveal and bring truth that aligns with Scripture and not something that just, you know, you find on the Internet. Takes away from the relationship, which we'll, we'll be built to do. So, the thing that was on my heart is like, man, you have this situation where the world is squeezing in on David. You see that, right? Squeezing in on him. They're coming after him like, just coming on him. He runs away, wise move, runs away to Samuel, that that's all he's got left. And what's interesting to me is that you have David who doesn't know what to do and everything's closing in. And it's all happening unjustly. It's not like he did something. He's been nothing but faithful. He did everything Saul asked him to do. He's done everything he should be doing. And what he's getting in return is certainly not a justified response. Then on the other side, you have a man who obviously is all over the map. Oh, nothing happened to him. We're going to, nobody touch him. And then five verses later, kill him. In his sleep, bring him to, it's bad. So you have this one man trying to do the right thing, nothing but closing in. Then you have the other one just bent and focused on murder. Um, the way I wrote it down, let's see. No amount of demonic pressure can break the presence of the Spirit. No amount of demonic pressure, injustice, or oppression can break and trump or take over the Spirit of God Himself. Can't happen. That's what encourages my heart about this passage. It's like there is a completely crazy situation happening. And the thing that changed the situation was the presence. Everybody say presence. The presence changed everything. The presence changed everything. I don't think that's just an Old Testament thing that happened. I think that also in the New Testament, we see that no longer does the Spirit of God just dwell in, in a tent or in a tabernacle. He dwells in, in His followers and His people. So His presence should really be in His people. Wherever His people are at, his, part of His presence is. And I feel like with the Lord, you know, I've just been kind of like shaking. And I don't even know how it's all going to come out, but just shaking and just doing it in my heart. It's, it's so often in a church setting... And just in Christianity, a lot of times we meet and we gather and we get together around a sermon and principles. And I am not suggesting or saying that the proclaimed, preached word is not powerful and nor is it not used by the Spirit, nor are we not called to do it. Because we are. I mean, it's pretty much what I do a lot. Supposed to do it. Called to do it. And it's powerful. And the Spirit breathes life into it. And principles. Principles. You know, we're going to talk about financial principles on Wednesday night. Then there's principles in relationships. Um, there's principles as far as um, how to approach God and how to be in relationship with Him. There's principles on to evangelize other people. And principles will produce fruit. And we'll gain some ground, we'll gain some territory. But principles 
and sermons. It, it's only part of it. What's interesting to me is that in the Old Testament is that when the nation of Israel got together, the way it was set up is that they had the tabernacle right in the middle and everybody else was around it. They gathered around the presence. And kind of too often, we gather just around a sermon or like some principles that we can put into practice, like a formula. And I really feel like God is encouraging our hearts to say, hey, listen, this whole thing has always been about my presence. It's always been about my presence. And when my presence is there in a significant way, things change. They change. Now, it's very true that Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered, there I am in their midst. So he's there. And then he also said in Ephesians that um, his spirit is given as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So his presence is like around us, and, and it's there. But I think that what God wants us to, to realize is that there's an awareness, I think, that we're supposed to carry. An awareness that God truly is here. He really is with me. And I think when there's like a really good grasp on that, we tend to act and talk a little bit differently. We tend to move with a little bit of a stronger confidence. And we tend to approach situations with a lot of hope. Which, for somebody else that's not a believer, they'd say, man, that's like either one kind of stupid or number two kind of arrogant. And it also might be stupid and arrogant. <laughs> Just because you throw God on it doesn't make things stupid or not arrogant. So this thing takes wisdom as far as when is this presence really there because you could just excite a whole bunch of people and that doesn't mean God's presence is there. It just means they got excited. There'll be some games going on today. I was talking about football. Like, I don't know how interested it, like heaven is in the football game today. Like, I don't, you know. But I do want to see the Cowboys win. Like, I do. But, but it's not like, you know, a top priority issue. You know what I'm saying? So you can cause lots of excitement, and you could just like make really cool atmosphere and cool things. But it doesn't necessarily mean his presence is there. So in Jesus, in his prayer, he said, in the Lord's Prayer, we'll, we'll get to it. Everybody should know. The Lord, I mean, you got to know that one. But we'll turn there. Matthew 6. Turn there. Turn there. Matthew 6. Verse 9. Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. And the idea was not to have it be a repetitive mantra that you just mindlessly just repeat. That, that was not Jesus' intent. He said, here's a model. Some important things that you should have within your prayer if you're going to be praying and communicating with God. There's some important elements. Because it's interesting to me that uh, his apostles and disciples, they never said, teach us how to preach. Um, you know, they never said, uh, teach us how to you know, evangelize better. He just had to pray. When Jesus prayed and he did things, it was very different than when other people prayed and when they did Very much in my heart to be someone, um, to be you know, a son of God, to where when I pray, God, of course he hears it, but my heart is in such a place and my mind is in such a place 
to where then heaven responds and heaven moves. Because there's a lot of people that nothing happens. Just nothing happens. And it's been like that for a long time. Just nothing happens. And then there's others They know how to attract heaven when they pray and then they're on something like things happen. They change and they move. So Jesus says this. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus told us to pray like that. On earth as it is in heaven. Here's what's interesting about heaven. In heaven, whose presence is supremely dominant. And his presence is radically different in heaven. And there is no room, there's no room for sinful thoughts, for discouraged hearts, for illnesses or disease, for, man, you just name it. His presence changes everything. And Jesus saying, hey, listen, pray, pray, ask God on earth as it is in heaven. And I don't think Jesus was saying, hey, this is just to keep you busy. <laughs> He's saying, no, like, you pray for this because when you pray and things are aligned in your heart and this is getting done the right way, part of heaven, not in its full entirety, but part of heaven is going to come and it's going to happen like his presence is there. Jesus is encouraging us. He's encouraging us to pray on earth as it is in heaven. And he's looking for us to like be the conduits of that. So the presence, the presence, his presence. I come together on Sunday because I'm excited not to preach. I love to preach. I love to just equip and encourage and just, ah, it's just good. Like I was built to do it and I love it. It's like so good to also find that out, you know, and discover that. Because you know, I didn't know that at 10 years old. Nor did I know it at 15. Nor did I know it at 19. But you just kind of grow through the years as you're in a relationship, you know? But I honestly, I enjoy church. I love coming to church, this church, any church. Because if you have a group of people that's hungry after God's heart, the entire time is just a blessing. Because his presence is in the midst of his worshipers pouring out. Because like we're, we're approaching that throne of heaven and we're doing what we're created to do and just other things fall away and perspective is built and just hope is, is so good. So I'm encouraged on Sundays like about the presence. And then I'm also encouraged about when we leave, when the Christians leave, the presence can still be carried to where you're going. We might be outnumbered, Okay. That's not the issue. The issue is his presence, his pre- the awareness of his presence and coming with a confidence in that. Because it changes every single situation. And it's not a formula and there's not principles. There's no other way to get there than delighting ourselves in the Lord and who he is and his presence just covers our life. And we're just saying, thank you, Lord. I get to partner with you on this earth to accomplish your will and your task 
Lord, what are we doing, Father? I'm going where you say to go. I'm going to do what you say to do. I'm going to walk in the authority that you gave me. Like, that's different. That's very different than, Father, fix my problems and get this one right and do this one. It's like, I, you know, he hears that, you know what I'm saying? And he's got a really gracious and compassionate heart. And he'll even probably move in some of those. But to really see on earth as it is in heaven, we have to understand our position and what we've been given and really pray and interact and be in this world like that. I really, truly believe that. Go to Genesis, chapter 28. Genesis 28. This is Jacob. This is Jacob. And um, he, he was actually on the verge of a very stress. He's been stressing and been super anxious about a meeting he was going to have with his brother Esau, who last time they met, it wasn't good. And Jacob was really favored, and Esau kind of got cast out. But a long time has happened, and Esau really grew in power. Like, he's a significant person. And Jacob's really struggling. And um, this is the night before he's about to meet uh, his brother and his brother could really squash him pretty quick. And um, so this is the night before that meeting. So it says, Jacob left Beersheba, set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There, above it, stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the east, to the north, to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you, Excuse me, and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, this is the gate of heaven. And early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. And I just, I bring your attention to that passage because it again emphasizes and talks about the awareness of his presence and what it does in our hearts and in our lives. How many people know that like the Spirit of God was not only just in Bethel at that moment with Jacob? He was, he's everywhere. It just happened to be in that moment that Jacob really experienced his presence in a significant way. And he's like, this place is awesome. <laughs> and he sets up a stone and he anoints it. And he's just like, man, this is an this is, this is amazing place. And he set it apart in his heart. And I really feel like God wants to encourage our hearts in such a way to where it's like, 
where our discovery of him and our encounter with him is not just tied to a place. It's, it's tied to who he is. And so then we are so encouraged, not just excited, but encouraged by the fact that we are carrying his presence with us. And we're saying, you know what? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about this situation. I don't know how that would turn out. I'm not sure about this. But man, I am so glad that his presence is with me in the midst of this. I am encouraged by that. How awesome is that fact that he rests in me and that he is with me and that he said he won't leave me. He wants to encourage our hearts on the fact that his presence changes everything and that the presence that we're asking God for and that we're seeking him on, the sort of greater anointing, a greater awareness, it's not natural to us. It's not natural to this world. Jesus is telling, pray for some world that you know nothing about, that you've never been to, and ask that God will bring some of that here. <laughs> it's almost like, wow, okay, I don't know. I like when you talk about gardening and planting and seeds in soil. Like, I get that. When it's this other stuff, a place under, I, I don't know. But that's the place where God wants us to be. And I believe, I really believe in my heart, that part of the reason why God puts 1 Samuel 19 in the Bible is to again remind us of the power of his presence, regardless of the situation of the people involved. Regardless. And I don't know if, I'm not, I'm not sure, I don't know, I'll, I'll just tell you my heart. You know, so like I read this and I study it during the week. I've definitely spent the, word, the week just praying, God, when people come to our home, when they come to Julie's and I's house, have them fall over. When they hit our door and they come in, they just hit your presence when they come here. So have them start prophesying and falling over and they come into our house. And it's, and I don't want to just be a copycat, you know, but my heart is just stirred. You know, it's stirred because you realize the power of the presence. And so, hey, at least on Hillcrest Avenue in Naugatuck, let the presence be ridiculous. Because currently it's not really there. So it's kind of there. But I feel like we could grow on that. We could do better. But my heart has been stirred, you know, to ask God for more, just in our own home. And then, of course, to carry it, you know, when I go to work. I'm still very bothered by the fact that I've had great conversations, great prayer times at work. Even some things have happened when I've prayed for people at work. I can, I, I'm pretty sure, well, I don't, I don't know. At least in my presence, I haven't seen anybody say, you know what? Yes, like I want to go 110% with the Lord and just encounter and do life with Him. I want to do that. Like, let's do that. I'm bothered by that fact. Very bothered by that. But that doesn't mean, you know, we just quit or we just stop. It just means I'm still asking for more of his presence, I can tell you that. And still continue to be more faithful. And whatever God's going to do, he's going to do. I know the lack, let me put it this way, I know the lack is never on his end. I know that. I don't know a whole lot outside of that. But I know that. In John 5, Jesus says something super remarkable. He says that um, a couple of things, actually. Two things. And one of them we already talked about. The Pharisees, 
religious leaders of that day, Jesus said to him, hey, listen, you think that by studying the scriptures diligently that you have eternal life. Like you think you're good because you study this, study this thing diligently. So if we did inductive Bible study every night, all day, forever, all the time, Jesus was like, mm, you could be doing all that and still missing the whole deal. Because it's about the presence and being in relationship with him. Because they diligently studied the word in the scripture, but they were missing what it was all about. And it was supposed to be bringing about a change, a transformation. And obviously it wasn't happening for them. So that's one thing. The other interesting thing that uh, Jesus said, I only do the things that I see my father doing. Man, I think that's a super cool, sobering and powerful remark from Jesus himself. I mean, that's just like, wow, I'm talking with Kayla, and she's like, well, I only do the things that I see God doing. And like, that was, and if that was really it, I'd be like, wow. And Jesus wasn't apologetic about it, you know? That's like, this is what I'm called to do. I do the things that I see my father. He was closely aligned to the presence of his father, and he, in his heart of hearts, he only wanted to move in that direction, no matter what it cost him, which it cost him his life. In 1 Corinthians, I know it seems like I'm bouncing around, but I'm really not, I promise you. I'm trying to just get, like, I just, it's more of a picture paint this morning. Yeah, I know. It's more of a picture painting this morning, so you just got to work with me. That's why I tried to share before. In 1 Corinthians, it talks about spiritual gifts, um, 12 to 14. It's interesting that after, in 1 Corinthians 12 and the 13, it talks about all spiritual gifts. And then a lot of times we focus on, okay, there's an awareness the Holy Spirit set up this thing with spiritual gifts, this situation with giftings, and it's supposed to build up his church. It's supposed to um, cause us to all build up and work together, right? And so we all carry these things, these giftings. And so what Paul does, he creates this awareness now. And it's interesting, in 1 Corinthians 14, he then says, now eagerly desire those spiritual gifts. Which is interesting to me because the awareness doesn't quite just get it done. That's just reducing it down to principles again. The reality that God is calling us into, he's saying, listen, now I want you to operate and access them. To use them. And let me suggest to you that the spiritual gifts, when functioning healthily and together, and we're trying to eagerly desire and grow in them, let me suggest to you that... When that's happening right, whose presence do you think becomes increased? Whose presence do you think becomes more alive? And it's true, people abuse and they manipulate. They're just looking for attention and they do things the wrong way. Absolutely true, can't deny it. And from time to time, it'll even happen here. Like, we're not opposed to that happening to us at all. And that's not cause for us to then look around with a critical eye and suspicious eye on everybody and everything they do. That's, that's bad news. We don't do stuff. No, like, let's not, you know? Stuff will come to the light when it's funky and not good. It just happens. And I've been in lots of circles. Most of the circles and pastors that I know, or at least a lot, 
that would fall into sort of that, and I think we put ourselves there, into a charismatic sort of freer place where we want to see the Spirit come and move, I see a lot of unhealthy and not really, like, good things. I mean, just unfortunately. And that's not great, nor good. But I don't think that's then cause to say, you know what? Because all that is so problematic and everybody is just taking advantage of getting crazy, let's just focus on this, talk about that, and sort of leave the whole presence conversation for another time. Maybe God just put the whole presence idea because that's what we'll see sometime in heaven. I have a really difficult time getting my head around that. So God, I guess, just wants to expose us to some things that he can do so we'll just see on the other side and maybe never take part in here. You know, I, I have a difficult time seeing that. But you absolutely have the right to see it that way. Because let me tell you this, which is also interesting about this passage. What's interesting to me is that for Saul, it happened twice. He hits the prophets and he's like, doing all this thing, doing everything. And then he gets, talk about slain in the spirit. He's laying down and he can't get up all day and all night. And he's talking whatever he's talking, singing whatever he's singing. What's interesting to me is that it happened twice for him. It did not. The experience did not cause him to be in a healthy and right relationship with God. The experience didn't do it. The presence is important. You with me? But just because there might be a presence or some experiences in people's life that doesn't guarantee some sort of real Christian fruit that happens. That's the problem with just experience seekers just want the experience and they start calling things healings or not really healings they start calling things maybe tongues and are not really tongues start calling and again I don't know if we, our, I don't think our job is to police everything got to let things play out let people eagerly desire try and learn things put themselves in situations and try things out and see what kind of fruit comes of it but it's interesting to me that the experience in and of itself will not change anybody's heart and make them automatically just run together. What's even scarier is that Jesus himself said, people will stand before him and say, listen, I cast demons out in your name. I healed people in your name. And Jesus is going to say, I don't know who you are. You have, been, you have maybe been able to access the power just because of my name. My heart doesn't know you. Like I, I don't know you. We haven't been together. We're going to say that for another time. But don't forget it. Okay, good. But that's interesting and sobering, right? So please hear my heart on this. The presence of God himself, we've been encouraged to pray for, ask him for, to worship in spirit and in truth. Because whatever you worship, you become like. So we're encouraged to do these things and have his spirit come and reign and be here in a powerful and strong way. But it's not just about the experience and anything that might happen. But when done the right way, it magnifies and draws attention to and holds up 
the presence of God himself and is working together the right way and in a healthy way. And of course, it's very much in my heart that us as a church family, like we go after and eagerly desire moving and working in our spiritual giftings that God has for us. Eagerly desire. Paul didn't say, hey, listen, just start doing what your gifting is. Eagerly desire implies that you kind of have to practice it and try it and sort of, it's like a tool. You don't just show up knowing how to use a skill saw. You, you, you can sure enough plug it in and turn it on and the thing will go, but that doesn't mean you know how to use it. So like, that's like important for us to know that and try and try. And sometimes things are from God and sometimes they're definitely not. And we have to be humble people and say, you know what? I said something was from the Lord and I'm sorry, like it wasn't. People got to say, God told me something. And if that wasn't the case, you got to say, nah, you know what? God didn't tell me that. Or no, we called that a healing. That wasn't a healing. Nothing happened. And that happened in this church. Our dear sister Joanna, Right? Prayed for it countless times. Cancer, and it would like go away, then it would come back, and then it would go away, and then come back, you know? She wasn't healed. There was a battle that we didn't leave from, that we stayed engaged on, but it didn't leave. But then there's some stories about other things that actually did leave, and they are gone. So, a good dose of humility comes with all of us. But the heart of all of it, man, can you just see a certain life going a particular way and then the Spirit of God, like the Spirit of God is just like this engulfing thing and when somebody hits it, they just... Man. It's just powerful. It's powerful stuff. So, since everybody's so close, I guess I could just throw you... Uh... Nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Hold on to it. Hold on to it. We're going to do one song together. So, you mind playing that last one there? Kind of softer.